Welcome to Studying the Song, a podcast to help musical theater actors figure out what to sing and how to sing it so that you shine in your audition, one-woman show, or leading role. My friends, talent and passion are only the beginning. I believe there is freedom in preparation. I believe that when you put in the work, practice the skills, and do the research, something amazing happens. You become so prepared in your craft that you become unstoppable. In this podcast, I want to give you the tools and skills to create a powerful audition book that showcases your artistry and actually gets you work. I want you to feel totally at home reading the musical score of a show, and I want to help you define your unique artistic voice. Consider me your own personal vocal coach in your earbuds, cheering you on and bringing you the reality checks you need along the way. I'm Corey Yamaoka, and I'm so excited to be walking this journey with you. Let's dive in. Hey, welcome back to Studying the Song. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about the five common mistakes that I see singers make in their auditions. Um, And we're going to talk about how to fix them. When the singer comes to me for an audition coaching, there's sort of this short list of items that I dive in and I address first. Usually they bring a song, like they're singing it well, they have it memorized, they like have a thought on like the dramatic arc that they're telling, but it's just not as specific as it could be. So I've got like five little things that usually are the first go-to things that we talk about. And what's interesting is that none of these things have anything to do with the quality of your singing ability or your voice. There are choices you can make for your singing that will elevate your performance. Anyone can do these. So during one of these audition coachings, the first thing I do is have the singer sing their song. Hello, that's obvious. Um, I have their music in front of me and I dive into that more as the coaching goes on. But really this first time through, I just, I'm listening to the vocal interpretation and I'm watching how much they're living in the character and the dramatic moment, you know, that the song comes out of. You know, if I'm the director behind the table, like, what am I thinking about how this person can tell a story? And almost always this first performance is like kind of so-so. Usually we've got like a little bit of nervousness right at the beginning, but like the choices are, it's kind of bland and it's like one note in the vocal choices, not like literally a one note melody, but like they're singing the whole song as if it's one thing. It's one emotion. It's one vocal color. And, and then like they're all over the place with their eye contact. It's like inward focus. It's outward focus. It's left. It's right. There could be like nervous ticks with their body. Like you could see nervousness like in a clenched fist or that kind of stuff. In a word, it's, it's unfocused. It's not a detailed, thought-through performance on all these levels. There's not enough specificity, right? And that's such a big thing for me. I think that professionalism is in the details. It's like every detail that you can control, that you can manage, that you've thought out and that you've made a choice about Um, just elevates your performance one more level. Like that professionalism is in the details. That's that phrase. So the, this first performance is often like, that's as far as a lot of actors get with their song. And then they go and they do their audition. They've learned the notes and the rhythms and they work on singing it well. And they nail the high notes. Um, you know, they're thinking about whether they're singing in their head voice or their chest voice. If they've got vibrato, maybe there's like straight tone that goes to vibrato, but it's like, it's like building a house, right? Like you have to build it 
in layers and learning the melody and the notes and like the basic story that you're telling, those are all like the first couple layers of bricks. It's brick and then it's some mortar and then it's brick and then it's some mortar, right? And like you're building this house or this building and it's like you never quite get to the point where you've put a roof on and then you go in and uh, and audition. So I'm interested in like helping actors take it to that next level. Like let's make it so that there's a roof and there's electricity and there's an HVAC system and then there's interior decor and furniture and a blanket and now your little cocktail is on the table or your coffee and your tea and now it's like a place that you want to be cozy and live inside of. That's the level that you want to bring in for your audition. So again, there's like five things, five elements, mistakes, you could call them, that people are making. They're leaving unfinished in their audition. And I know that there are others that, um, you know, would pop up and, and, you know, you could work on, but these are ones I wanted to focus on for day for today. I'm realizing like it might be helpful to also have an episode that really goes into detail about those foundational layers. So I will do that as well. Um, this is sort of like the second piece. It's a little out of order, but it's what was on my heart to share this week. So I guess somebody must need to hear this. So this is for you. Let's get into what these five mistakes are and how to fix them. Number one mistake that I see is that the actor has not firmly set their moment before. It's that emotional jumping off point for the whole song. So what is the moment before? It's exactly what it sounds like. What happened in the play right before your character sings this song? Usually there's dialogue, there's some heightening action, and then there's a pivotal moment and the song begins. Like there's an emotional rise that becomes too intense for the for the character to keep speaking and they must sing. What is that moment? If you listen to, I think it was episode 15, I talk about creating context and we talked about the moment before. And I gave the example from Footloose where the mom sings, could you find it in your heart? And right before she sings the song to the husband, the husband has lifted his hand to hit their daughter. And and she yells to stop and he stops. And then some, you know, the, the intensity is sort of let out of, out of the situation. The girl runs off and now mom and dad have this moment and she's going to sing a song saying, could you find it in your heart to forgive your daughter instead of hitting her? Right? So that is such a clear emotional place to begin a song from. There's a million other ways that your song could begin. Like maybe you're having a conversation with somebody that's like sort of flirtatious and then it like increases in intensity and you start realizing you might be in love with this person. And now you're in your song and you're trying to figure out what are these feelings that you're feeling? Oh my gosh, I didn't know this could happen. So that sets the tone for everything that happens in your audition cut, right? What is the emotional place you're in right when the music begins for your introduction? You got to know all that journey that you've just been through before you open your mouth and sing, okay? Because then your song will start from a grounded, real place instead of what you often see is the piano, you know, starts playing the pianist, not just the piano, but there's a person playing the piano. They start playing the intro and the person you can kind of just see is like, 
what's my first line? Okay, that's my first line. And they're like swaying or they're, they're kind of staring off into the distance and they're thinking about how they're going to start their song. Instead of <laughs> the music begins and they're in the emotional moment experiencing the scene that just happened and digesting the dialogue that they just spoke or that somebody had been speaking to them. Now, when you're doing your audition, I understand you may sing like not the very beginning of the song, right? You may sing the last 16 bars. That's often what we choose because that has like, you know, big notes and it's really intense and we want to show that. But you still need to know your moment before the whole song begins. And then you need to track every moment in the emotional journey throughout the song. And that's what you're doing when you're doing your song analysis of your lyrics and your you're saying, what do I want? How am I going to get that? These are the tactics I'm going to try. And here are the action verbs that I'm going to attach to each phrase. Again, I should discuss all of that in a separate episode, but assuming you know that and you've tracked every moment to moment shift, beat shift within your song, then wherever you're at, in your audition cut, you know the specific moment before you sing, right? It's informed by everything that would have happened in the song before the the moment that your exact audition cut begins. Okay. Is that confusing? I hope it's not. So how do you clarify what your moment before is? Well, you need to read the script, all of it. Um, I know that that is difficult sometimes to find. Do your best to get your hands on a script, um, at least reading the summary and really going into as much detail as you can into exactly like who's talking and what they're saying. All right. Find that information. Zero in on the scene in which your song happens. And then if possible, write down the dialogue of the few lines right before you sing. And then you can use that dialogue and rehearse it every time you rehearse your song as you start the beginning, this is called the setup of the song. It's the couple of lines that really elevate the emotional intensity that move you to sing. So if you have those written out and you practice them, then when you're in your audition, you can have, you can have that going through your mind, you know, before you're coming out to sing or when you're waiting, waiting in the hall. And then obviously, right, like when you're on the X and you're starting or in today's world, before you press record on your self tape. So be clear about that moment before and all the little moments that are happening up until the point your audition cut starts. Okay, so that's number one. Number two mistake that I see people make is that they don't know what the climactic moment, what the climax is of their specific audition cut. So what is the climactic moment? Well, it's the moment of the most emotional intensity. Usually it's the highest note that you sing, but not always. Um, usually it's the moment where you're like declaring what you want, like the mask is off and you're saying, this is how you really feel. It's, it can be a revelation. Like, uh, I realize, ah, right. Eureka. That's the climax. Or it can be a release. Like, oh, I'm finally saying the thing that I've been needing to say forever. Okay. And in your cut, it's the moment that the whole cut is built around. Like it's the point at to, that you're going toward, that your whole like escalating and increasing energy goes to, and then you release that big energy. 
And then sometimes there's a little bit of coming back down after it, or sometimes the climax is the last note of your song and you end in that emotional release, which is super exciting. So why is it important? Because it gives your audition cut a shape. This is what gives a story arc to your cut. Yeah. And you know, a lot of, a lot of coaches and people, you know, that you hear, they'll say, you know, your audition cut needs to tell a story. And that can seem really vague. You're like, I'm telling a story. I'm singing the lyrics of my character. And, you know, you're not singing the whole song, so we don't get the whole literal whole story, but you're getting a snippet of it, right? Well, even this little snippet has its own story arc to it. If you've got a climactic moment, you know, before that, you're going to have a little exposition. This is what's happening. Then there's some conflict and rising action and the intensity builds. Then you hit your climax. And then sometimes, like I said, there's the denouement or the resolution where the energy comes back down, or sometimes you just end right at the climax. So that is what we mean by telling a story. You might have to try to do all of that in 16 bars, which I know is difficult, um, but it can be done. It's just not a very long story, but we still want those points of the journey. Yeah. Exposition, conflict, rising action, climax, denouement. When it's a full length song, there's usually one main climax and then several smaller supporting climaxes. So if you're picking a 16 bar cut, you're often just like zeroing, zeroing in right on that main climax. It's usually the most thrilling part of the song. It's the highest note in the song or the longest. And it's that moment that you want to feature acting wise to, you know, for an, um, an audition panel or a casting director. So usually you just start a little bit before then you sing your big note and then your cut is done. But if you're doing a 32 bar cut, you may be singing enough of the song where you actually have a preliminary climax before your main climax, because, you know, your character is having several realizations in a song. They're on a journey and they're not achieving what they want the whole time. Like you've got little struggles and little triumphs along the way. And so those might come into play in your 32 bars. So FYI, I'm going to give you a little example in a second. Um, musically, the composer is doing things along the way that will cue that the climax is coming, right? The melody starts ascending. Um, sometimes there's sequences. A sequence is when you have like a little musical phrase and then you do the same musical phrase, but it's a little higher and then it's a little higher. Um, I will try to think of an example. Um, or it could just be crescendoing. Volume starts to increase. Um, sometimes the tempo starts to pull back for like a big, big, like bring it home kind of moment. Let me see if I can think of a sequence. Okay, I just pressed pause and then I looked at some sheet music. So My Funny Valentine, this is not a theater song, but this is actually a great example. At the end of the song, you say, don't change a hair for me. Then you take it up a little. Not if you care for me. Then it's up higher. Stay, little Valentine, stay. So that's a sequence. It's the same. Ba, 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 ba. That. Uh, the set of intervals that, that you're singing and the rhythms are exactly the same in each phrase. It's just getting higher each time. Okay. So that was like more than I wanted to say about that, but that's cool. 
I wanted you to understand that concept because it is a cue that a climax is coming. Okay, I'm hopping back in to say that My Funny Valentine is totally a theater song. It's from Babes in Arms. My apologies. So let's talk about you could have a climax that is the very last note of the song. So that could be like, um, gimme, gimme that thing called love, right? That is the big moment, um, of that, of that song. Or you might have a song where there's a big, loud, held out, you know, emotionally intense climax. And then like the pressure sort of let out and the emotions start to cool down. And an example of that is breathe from in the heights. Okay. So if you start at the section, straighten the spine, smile for the neighbors, everything's fine. Everything's cool. The standard reply, lots of nuts, lots of papers, smile, wave goodbye and pray to the sky. Oh God. And what will my parents say? We're starting to get big here, right? And I go in there and say, I know that I'm letting you down. Climactic moment. Nina, just breathe. So you get the big moment on down, which is like full belting. I'm like flipped in my head voice right now. And then whoosh, she said the thing. Like her whole deal is I've dropped out of school. How am I going to face my parents and say, I know that I'm letting you down? That is the climax. It's this big note. There's a fermata on it. You're holding it out, right? Once she says it in the song, it's like an emotional release. She's like, okay, I've admitted that that is the terror (laughs) in my mind. And now I just need to breathe and go in there and do it. So that's what I mean, like a little denouement, a little resolution at the end. Now, if you want to know like what would happen if you did a 32 bar cut of this, so a lot of people will go back and actually start at, when I was a child, I laid wide awake, right? Let me find that in the music. Hang on. I'm also just like picking my own key. Like who knows what the real key of this is? Okay, here it is. And I was a child, I laid wide awake, climbed to the highest place on every fire escape, restless to climb. I got every scholarship, saved every dollar, the first to go to college. How do, how do I tell them why? That's exciting. I'm coming back home. That might be the highest note in the song, but it's not the climax. With my eyes on the horizon, just me and the GWP, asking Chinino, what'll you be? boom and then we get that straight in the spine so that would be like your 32 bar starting back at the the fire escape section and i think the climax the preliminary climax is this genie no what'll you be because that is the other fear that she has she's saying it's just me and the gwb that's the george washington bridge right so how do i tell them that i'm coming back My eyes are on the horizon. It's just me and this bridge. Nina, what are you going to be? You're not going to be what they wanted you to be. You didn't, you didn't finish college. You're not getting out of this, you know, the, the rat race and the family business. You're not going on to better things. What are you going to be? So I kind of think this is like a climax that is actually a low emotional climax. 
not low emotion, but it's it's low in volume and it's low in her range, but emotionally it's an admission of a very terrifying thought. Then it's pull yourself together, straighten the spine. I'm just going to smile for the neighbors and then the, the other climax that we just talked about. So that's kind of interesting when you do a longer cut, you've got multiple climaxes that you're going to be worrying about. Okay. I've said the climax way too many times in <laughs> one episode in one day. Let's go on to number three. The number three mistake that I often see people make is that they have not defined the sections of their story vocally. Okay. So as we just discussed, your audition cut has its own little story arc. There's a middle, I mean a middle, there's a beginning, middle and end. Somewhere in there is a climactic emotional moment. You've probably done your character analysis work and you've attached little verbs and actions to each lyric, right? But you need to now define these sections, beginning, middle, end, with your music interpretation, with your vocal interpretation, right? And what I mean is that every point in the song where you have a beat shift, you should have a shift of vocal energy and vocal style. So those acting beats, the reason they're happening is because they're connecting to an emotional shift. And anytime our emotions shift as a person, our voices start to shift as well. So here's a little example, a 16 bar broken down. For the first four bars, you're recalling a memory from long ago. Well, vocally, that might be expressed with kind of a halting conversational delivery because it's like coming to you as you're remembering it. It's not on the tip of your tongue. The next four bars, you see the memory more clearly and you start to experience the joy of that memory washing over you as you feel like that person's hand on your cheek. Yeah. Well, vocally, you might start to sing more legato and more on your voice and a little bit more singery, as I like to say. Then for the next four bars, maybe you're snapped back to reality. Your lover is gone forever. There's no use in remembering this. You're just going to shut down the memory. Well, you might like start to really elongate your words and back phrase as you sort of start to ascend to a climactic, you know, primal scream of despair kind of thing, right? You're elongating, you're back phrasing. And then the next four bars, you land on the climactic moment. It's the primal scream of anguish and you're, it's like the cry of your heart reaching out to that lover and wishing they were with you, right? So you're probably belting this note. It might start straight tone and then go to vibrato, but then maybe the second half of it, the volume's going to diminuendo and your tone lightens because you're also like, you have the memory of that person inside that climactic moment. It's not just anger. It's also, it's bittersweet. There's sweetness in it. So that's 16 bars. Your audition cut is done. So the story of the acting beats reflects in a vocal story of energy shift and style shifts. There's vocal storytelling happening in addition to following the character's story. This is where we have to remember that the human voice, like our voice is an instrument, just like, you know, a violin or a saxophone or a piano. There is a reason that we sing these emotional moments instead of speaking them, okay? Singing the words with a melody and accompaniment accompaniment, adds a whole other layer of communicating the story 
we've got to use those things. The music is written to enhance the lyric and the storytelling. Like they are working together. And as you're defining the sections of your storytelling, you have to identify the music shifts that are happening at the same time. Okay. This creates a little journey for the listener to go on. Again, storytelling is always at the core of our auditioning and just as our, of our singing in general. Every time you're singing a song, that's what you're trying to do. Um, as humans, we're, we're drawn into the stories and the specificity of your story actually allows me to put it onto my own life. Specificity is universality. Is that a phrase? I think it is. Anywho, you're showing all of these different emotional things in the music, not just in acting. Okay. I've said that a million times. If you don't do this, remember what I said at the beginning, you're going to have that sort of bland one note vocal performance where your tone never changes and your musical interpretation never changes. You're on your voice in a perfect way, the entire way from beginning to end. And your acting beats are same, same, same. We don't want that. We want beginning, middle, end. Okay, you got it. Number four mistake that people make during auditions, it's the the fourth thing that I just want to like whoosh, zero in on when we're doing a coaching, is that actors do not choose their specific vocal colors to feature at specific moments in the cut. So this just builds on the previous concept. The singer, you, the actor, whoever you are, you're singing your whole song in your perfectly lined up musical theater tone. There's vibrato throughout. Maybe there's straight tone on that held note and releases into vibrato, but there's never a crack or a break or a breathiness or a strident tone to be found. It's all perfect. So one teacher, I had the privilege to accompany her styles class and um, she calls it putting heat on the word. Certain words need a little extra heat, like a special delivery that makes them sound a little different than all the other notes. And, you know, what ends up happening when you're, you know, conceptually thinking add heat to this is that a different vocal color emerges. So your voice has many different vocal timbres, many different colors. And we do this all the time when we're speaking But somehow when we start to sing, like those different timbres disappear and we think we're just supposed to sound perfectly, you know, forward placed from beginning to end. But not so, my friend. The human voice has the most variety of timbres of any instrument, any instrument. And we need to explore them. When we use different timbres, we're communicating different emotions and different intentions. And how convenient you already have your song mapped out with all your dramatic shifts, your beat shifts, your actions, right? So now all we have to do is a really deliver those actions truly and let the vocal colors emerge. That's what's so exciting. So vocal colors that we talk about all the time are head voice versus chest voice, right? Those are really common for us. And even then people can get locked into only showing one or the other. But let's say you're singing a mezzo-y, kind of more like chest voice song and it has like a bitchin' like climactic belted note, right? That's cool. But is there a place somewhere along the journey that you could flip into your head voice and show that other color that you have? 
Or conversely, maybe you're singing a gorgeous, legit soprano love song. Is there any place along that melody where you could bring in more chest tone and, you know, it might reflect more of like an earthiness or a sensuality or a grounded quality to this love that you're singing about? I don't know. Again, I don't have a specific song in mind. These are just, uh, you know, conceptual examples. So that's one way to show range when we're talking about like showing range in a song. That's what we're talking about. But can we get beyond chest voice and head voice and explain and and explore some of those other, you know, vocal timbres? So here are some examples. You've done your work. The action verbs are there. Let's say your verb is to instruct, to command, um, to keep an eye on, or to correct. Those are all sort of in the same world. And those verbs, when you're doing them, they change the way that you speak. And most of us understand what this is instantly because we even have a name for it. We call it teacher voice, right? When you step into a teacher voice, how does that change your vocal tone? I, I do it and I get really clear. It's really bright, very direct. Uh, my enunciation and my diction get super clear. You know, it's funny because because I'll be teaching like music directing a choir or, you know, doing a coaching or something. And then I'll come home. Well, back in the days before COVID, when I had to actually leave the house to do work and then I came home, I'd come home and I'd still be in that energy. And I'd, we'd be talking to my husband, Jason, and he's like, can you like, just like tone your voice down a little bit? Cause I was still in my teacher voice, super intense and really aggressive and like instructing and commanding, but that's not the voice I should be using at home with my husband, correct? So it just shows you that we have those things already and they're programmed. Here's another example. Let's say your verbs are consoling, caressing, soothing. We have a voice for that too. We do that all the time, right? When you're soothing a little child who just fell down and skinned his knee. Oh, and your voice just gets a little softer and you put a little bit more air in it, right? Or if you're comforting a friend who's just lost a job, you know, you're going to have a a sort of more languid, calm tone to how you're talking. Yeah, you're not going to give them aggressive and brassy. I mean, you're not going to be soothing very much if that's your action verb you're trying to do. So your different verbs are going to yield totally different vocal colors. That's what you have to show in your singing. And that's what we're talking about when we say show us more range within your audition. Um, technically like we have names for these things as they come out, but there's a lot of sounds that we don't have a technical name for. Here are a few though, that we do having a breathy quality, a whisper, a brassy quality, growl, straight tone, vibrato, spoken, um, weight, like in a note, gravitas. Um, you can have a lighter sounding note, a nasal, bright, twangy, sweet, dramatic, full, vocal fry, a yodel or a crack, a whine or a cry release, and on and on. So some of those are like little technical things that you can do. Other of them are just describing the tone of the voice that you're singing on. So hopefully you are familiar with all of those things and you're incorporating them in your songs. If not, Try out your verbs and see if any of those start to come out. You really have to commit to playing the action for those things to emerge. 
What's really fun, try this exercise. Sing a single phrase, repeat it, and do different actions each time. So like sing your phrase once like you're telling a secret. And then sing it again like you're shouting from the rooftops. And then sing it like you're pulling yourself together. Oh, And then sing it like you're declaring edicts from your throne, right? You're going to hear so many different vocal colors emerge. It's going to be different than all the cast recordings you've heard, right? And some of them might not be appropriate or the ones you want to use forever, but you might discover things that you would not have otherwise discovered. So that's a fun little exercise for you. Okay. Number five, y'all. The number five mistake. This is not a singing mistake, but this is an audition mistake. And I thought it was valuable to put in here. And it's so easy to fix. Number five mistake is that people have too many focal points for their eyes. Okay. Your focal focal points are just where you're looking while you're singing. And when someone is uncomfortable, usually you don't make eye contact, right? And you see this in conversations all the time. If somebody's lying to you, they really don't want to make eye contact with you. They'll look everywhere but at your face. Um, There's something about wandering eyes that that betrays that you're uncomfortable with what's happening. And unfortunately, I see this a lot in auditions. The singer is clearly concerned with what they sound like vocally. And you might even notice like they're they're creating a beautiful sound, but they're still thought. And so they're not, they haven't specified where they're looking and connected it to the acting beats. They're really just looking wherever they want because they're more concerned about what they sound like. So the, the vocal performance ends up feeling very disconnected when you're watching it. Okay. And this is such an easy fix, like I said. So here I'm going to give you three options, what to do with your eyeballs while you're singing. Okay. Option number one, pick a single spot on the wall in front of you. If you're live and in person, it's a little over the heads of the casting director and the folks at the table. It's in, you know, the wall behind those people and just sing to that one spot like a laser and don't change focus the entire time. This probably works best for like a 16 bar cut, 32 bars. I think you'd need to add another focal point, but there's such an intensity and a focus that it gives you when you're staring at a single place. It's like a single mindedness of your intention. You can blink. Don't forget to blink because you're not a robot, right? But when you just are boring a, a hole in that wall, in that one place, it's like, it's so moving and so powerful and so connected. Okay, option number two, pick two focal points. So the first point is that one on the back wall, straight ahead. And then the second one is going to be a little to your left or a little to your right. I would say like 30 degrees, not even like 45, right? Just like 30 degrees. You're going to start looking at the, at the back wall. And then when you shift left or right, whichever one you like, when you shift, that's a cr- contrasting thought. That's like a section of your song where you're going somewhere else, right? You're remembering something or you're imagining the future or, you know, there's somebody you're talking about that left you and you're placing them over there because you're seeing them where they used to be. And then, and then after that, you bring your focus back to center because usually you're coming back to your story 
after you've gone away. You've remembered, you dreamed something, and then you're back. Okay. So option number three. Option number three is like, it's extreme. It's extreme all over the place focus. And this has to be purposeful and it can only be in certain situations. So the scenarios might be that you're a nervous wreck and you're afraid. And so your eyes are darting all around you and you like, you don't have any grounding because you're so nervous and you're, you're so excited, right? You might be like a dreamer of dreams. That's <laughs> the kind of character. You might be seeing a big picture, like you're painting a big picture, an entire vision for the future. And so your focus is changing as you see this entire world before you, right? You That's how big your vision needs to be is that you see all these different points. Um, and then the third scenario that this might work is that you might be so self-reflective that your gaze is sort of, you know, straight or, or lower than straight ahead as you're internally thinking and drawing on something inside and you're looking for this discovery. Usually though, at some point your gaze comes up and out into the back of the room so that you're connecting with your audience. But in that reflective place, your eyes might be going all over the place a little bit more. Be very careful with that. I find that having a single focus is usually the best. All right, that is all five of the mistakes, all five of the elements that I find that are missing from auditions. Again, just remember, these are that secondary layer of what you're adding. You've got to do all the work beforehand of the basics, those first few layers of your building before you can get to this level. And once you've got those basics and you start incorporating these things that I just talked about, oh my gosh, the specificity of your performance is going to be so amazing. You're going to have thought through so many little details and they're going to watch this like completely nuanced, beautiful, three-dimensional story take place within 16 bars or 32 bars. And then of course, like when you're doing a complete song, you do all of this. It's just the process of performing a song. And I, I mean, I think it's fascinating and fun. And I think what's so cool is that this is what allows, you know, 10 different people to sing a song in a day and you don't get tired of it because they're all filling in these details in a different way. Now, if all 10 of those people have only done the first two layers of the work, the first layer, I'm sorry, I'm like mixing my metaphors. I apologize. But if they've only done like the first set of things, they might all come in and kind of sound the same, right? And that's when we're always worried about, oh no, I just heard so-and-so and and she sang my song and now I'm saying, should I change my song? I don't want them to like, you know, forget me in the mix of people that have done this. Well, if you've done all those additional layers, you're going to come in with more details, with more nuance, with more clear understanding of who you're portraying. And now they're going to get a sense of who you are as a performer, the kind of work that you do, what you bring to the table in the rehearsal room, all of that stuff. So don't worry about songs being overdone so much. Yeah. Songs are good. They're done a lot because they're well-written. Yeah. And they allow for a lot of excavation. Like all this stuff is just sort of that excavation of all the details. Anywho. Okay. I need to stop talking. Let's listen to the takeaways. 
Number one, when you've defined the moment before your song, you create a clear emotional starting point that sets the tone for everything that follows. Number two, make sure you know where the climax of your song is. It's usually the moment when you declare what you really want or how you really feel. It's a revelation or a release, and it's the moment that the whole cut is built around. Number three, in the same way that you define the acting beats of your song, you should define your vocal beats where your vocal style and energy shifts. Number four, the human voice has the widest variety of timbres of any instrument. Get clear on your intentions and your actions and explore the vocal colors that follow. Number five, be clear with where you put your gaze. Your focal points help tell the story. All right, friends, I hope you found this helpful today. If you did, could you think of one other person that might also find this helpful? Someone else that maybe is re-entering the world of auditioning after this crazy year or just somebody else that wants to up-level their performance and work on fine-tuning all these things? If so, would you consider sending them a link to this episode or just sharing a screenshot with them so that they know where they can find it? It would mean the world to me. Again, I do this because I love teaching and I just... I just believe that everybody can be better and improve and like enjoy the process. And I want to equip people to be the best performer that they can be. Um, if you're interested in working with me and doing some audition coaching, audition coaching, go ahead and visit my website, coryyamaoka.com. You can check out my packages and rates and even begin the booking process by filling out a booking request form. So that's super cool. I would love to hear from you. And what's also been cool in this last year is that coaching on Zoom has become so normalized and we've figured out how to do it with better sound quality and like different techniques of being online. So Um, I'm working with people from all over the United States. If you're worried that you're not local to my area, that is no problem. We just find a time that works for both of us and we hop on Zoom. Um, As you go on about your day, I just pray that you would be uplifted and filled with vision and optimism for where you're heading next. You have a unique story to tell and a unique life to live. My friend, you are the song. Be well, and I will see you next time here on Studying the Song.